Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the Impact Makers Podcast, where my goal is to provide you with tools, tips, and resources to build a career that you love and a life that matters. I've got a real treat for you today. My guest is Colin Gautry, and he speaks with a decidedly British accent, which makes him sound very distinguished and smart. But he doesn't just sound intelligent. He was a delight to talk to about some really important, but sometimes controversial topics like power, influence, and office politics. Colin is an author, coach, and trainer who specializes in the practical use of power and influence in large organizations. For over 25 years, he's been focused on helping mid- and senior-level professionals to survive, thrive, and enjoy their work. He combines solid research with deep personal experience in corporate life to offer his clients profound insights into how to achieve results with greater influence, and he encourages those he works with to find practical ways to build trust, foster collaboration, and gain mutually beneficial results. In our conversation today, we talk about some of the keys to success at work and in life, how to effectively navigate through complex political environments at work, how to develop more influence and use your powers for good, and the skills and abilities it will take to be an exceptional performer or leader in the future of work. I love this stuff, and I learned a lot from Colin during this conversation, and I think you will too. Well, welcome Colin Gautry to the Impact Makers podcast today. So how did I do there, Colin, with the British pronunciation of your last name? Very close indeed, very close. I'm very thrilled. close. I like it. You're not going to give me the full 100%, but very close. <laughs> maybe at the end, maybe at the end. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. And, and we were chatting kind of before um, we started recording here about how, um, you know, you're one of the first people to be a guest on this podcast that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting in person. But you are also the first person to be on this podcast from across the pond. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about representing your people? Delighted, delighted. And I've done quite a lot of work over in America and in New York and various other places. So uh, it's good to be back. Well, it's always interesting to me to hear uh, what do you think about us as Americans? How would you, we, you know, we have feelings about people that are British or from other countries, certainly, but do you have a kind of way you categorize us as Americans? Oh, that's an interesting question and a very loaded question. I'm going to I'm going to sidestep it slightly <laughs> on a course. political front, but I mean, at the end of the day, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more later. But I look at people in the world as being people, not as being a particular box or pigeonhole or anything like that. And that features in a lot of my work because I think far too often our assumptions about people based on simple facts are so wide of the mark that we miss opportunities to engage and to get on well with people. So I think those assumptions that we make about other people, be they American, British, whatever, I think can hold the seed for a very, very bad start to a relationship. So I like to keep an open mind, if I may say so. That is an amazing answer that I think is going to uh, kind of points us in the direction of how this conversation is going to go. Very well thought out answered. So I appreciate that. <laughs> top of the head stuff. <laughs> there you go. Always top of the head stuff. Well, I've told people a little bit about how we connected in the introduction and uh, shared a little bit about your amazing work. But I want to start with kind of tell me a little bit about 
who you are. Who is Colin Gautry? Who is Colin? I, I think probably, I mean, I've got a career in uh, corporate life in many different disciplines, including IT, sales, sales management. So I think one could say, to use, use the term loosely, I've been around quite a lot. Um, and I think probably what marks me out and identifies me is my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always interested in what's happening what's going on, how things are working, how people are doing, and I'm always interested in learning. And with the grey hair starting to accumulate, there is no lack of increasing appetite on what is going on out there, what is going on in the world. And so I really do like to, I suppose, keep learning and then keep sharing. And I think that's another key part of it. But in corporate life, I was in there getting some quite sizable results, um, finding my way through the corporate maze, if you like, and the uh, the old dreaded politics, and somehow finding my way there and finding out how to do it and do it at a at a reasonable level. Um, and it's just it's just that learning all the time. I remember one of the, one of the things that I one of the values that I. Uh, adopted at a very early age was to try to do twice as much as everybody else in half the time and it may sound a little bit of a cliche but that was one of the driving forces how can I continually become more efficient more effective at what I'm doing and that's been I suppose a hallmark of uh, most of my life. Mm -hmm. So would you say, I mean, now obviously you do, uh, you spend a lot of time doing research and writing and sharing, but it sounds like from kind of at least your initial foray into what you do today, you're you're basically self-taught in the areas of kind of influence and office politics and uh, Certainly self-taught in that discipline, but obviously I've got, you know, formal qualifications as well. And probably one of the most interesting uh, little bits of qualification that I've got is complexity theory and systems thinking in its broadest range. So that just sort of indicates that you know, I do have a delight for the academic and more complex side of things. But I think probably the key thing that I'm always driving towards in the work that I do is to mediate between, uh, dare I say, academia and real life. And mm-hmm. so I'm far more at the practitioner end, helping people with how they become more effective, how they do the influencing in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I've got a bit of a bit of a, a beef about a lot of leadership training at the moment because it seems to be disconnected from people's real world. Um, and I think it's really important that people get a grasp of what's going on today, get real good control of what's going on today before they start envisioning what the future might be like. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And unless you get the, get the day job fixed and sorted and going in the right direction to a massive extent, um, you're probably not going to find the time or have the space to be able to come up with a bright vision of the future for your organization, division or, or team or whatever. So um, I think it's really got to be, everything's got to be rooted in the, the real world. Well, that's a very interesting insight about kind of how we, you know, every every conference or event or training class I see, as you mentioned, is kind of focused on the future of work. And I get asked that about a lot of times in interviews, you know, what do I think about the future of work? And, I, and I've not answered it as eloquently, but I've said, you know, I think we need to 
focus a little bit more on what we're doing right now <laughs> before yeah. we start talking about the future. <laughs> but, but Jennifer, there's a key key thing that many people forget, though. Many people do focus on the day job and they focus on what's what's going on and what they need to do right now. But as they get that under control, there is a very big danger, and it's almost like an automatic behavior that instead of investing the time that they are creating for the future, they fix more problems of today. Ah, okay. So, so go ahead. I think, I think it's really important that people sort of say, okay, I want to be a, a leader. I want to be very influential in the future. I want to make big things happen. Now, how can I do it? Step number one, get the day job under control and save yourself a heck of a lot of time. <laughs> but use that time to envisage what the future could be. Interesting. So that was one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of your work is around power and influence and, and understanding how to maneuver through the political aspects of the, the world and the work environment. So let's say if, if we have a young professional who's maybe coming out of uh, academia, of, of their education, and going into the work world, they're ambitious, they want to move ahead. What what are some of the steps that you would recommend that they take to begin to develop the things that they're going to need to be successful long-term? Wow. There's, I mean, there's an awful lot in there and I could talk for an awful long time on it, but I suppose succinctly the, the, the immediate ideas that come to my mind at the moment are number one, learn how to do a damn good job. Um, you've got to be able to deliver substantive results without a shadow of a doubt. But as you start to do that, make sure to build your networks and your relationships in the arena in which you wish to be successful. That means getting out, getting to know people, building trust, collaborating, sharing, and really starting to grow goodwill within that network that people think well of you, that you have helped them, and they've got that within their mind, so that then ultimately when you need a favor in return or you're working on something, they're going to be more minded to support you and to help you. But I've seen so many people almost mid-career that have got so deep in their technical specialism. And some of these people, I mean, when I'm about to start coaching, he's the, he's the top person in his field in the world, but he's not as influential as he used to be. His influence in his organization is declining because he has not invested the time in building the relationships with the other executives at the top level. Interesting. So, so maybe describe or define kind of influence if you can for us and how you view it. Oh, oh, that's an interesting one because, you know, is it a verb or is it a noun? I just call it an outcome. Oh, if I like you it. have influenced somebody, you have got them to think differently to feel differently or to act differently than they would otherwise have done. So I try to neutralize it. I mean, a lot of people say, well, what's the difference between politics and influence and politics is bad and influence is good. And it's all the same thing really, because it's an attempt that people make to get somebody to do something different. Huh? The intent behind it can make it positive or negative in its perception. But the actual behaviors that constitute politics or constitute influence are broadly the same. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned relationships as an important factor in developing influence. Is there anything else that, I mean, obviously there are a lot of things that go into influence, but what are maybe some other key aspects of becoming influential? 
I think the key thing, and, and this is where the investment is required, is as you're building a relationship, unless there is trust there, there's precious little relationship. Let's let's be honest. That's that's the key thing. So you've got to be able to have a high degree of trust in these relationships because what that then does is starts to unlock the agenda of the other person. And it is only when you start to understand other people's agendas and that's, you know, who are relevant and powerful and could derail you or bring you over the line. It's only when you start to understand their agendas can you figure out how to accurately attempt to influence them. Because otherwise you're just shooting in the dark. If you don't know what they're really after, you're influencing what I call from your page, mm -hmm. not from their page. And at the end of the day, if you want to influence somebody, get them to want to do it. Say something, encourage them, help to them help to connect their agenda with what you're trying to do so that they see the benefit for themselves. Yeah, when I talk about influence with leaders, a lot of times when I get pushback, um, it's often around that they see influence as manipulation. Can you talk about the difference between influencing someone versus manipulating them? You mentioned getting what they want to help them get what they want. I tend to think, and this is a little bit of a glib answer, but I tend to think of people who say that things are manipulative or people are manipulating are those that just don't like the way it's going. Very true, usually. <laughs> um, and so we, we tend to ascribe a negative label to phenomena that we're not comfortable with. Um, a lot of people talk to me about how they hate the politics. Uh, when I start to coach them or train them or we have a workshop and go, start to go through it and they start to realise what it's really all about and I get to know them, most of the time those people that are saying they hate the politics either are suffering badly from it, as in they're losing, or they haven't got a clue what's really going on, so they're always getting surprised. That's, that's very, very insightful. I actually, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and some of the fantastic recommendations there, and I, I wrote down this quote from one of the recommendations a coaching client of yours had written, that he moved from being a passive political player to a more active one. He learned how to maneuver. So as you said, a lot of people, when, when they might read that sentence, will say you, you kind of taught someone the game. But really, we have to be able well, to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, an interesting, interesting um, comparison. Um, I mean, and it's in the influencing space anyway, but rhetoric or rhetoric um, is an age-old art from ancient Greece of structuring arguments and prepositions and suppositions, and I'm no expert at it. But the point was that the greatest teacher of rhetoric was Aristotle. Yeah, Aristotle is on record or on, on, on parchment somewhere <laughs> as having said that he hated the topic, he hated the subject, yet he was the greatest teacher of it. And the reason he gave for his energy into teaching his students the art of rhetoric was because he felt that rhetoric gave power to weaker arguments. And he wanted to equip his students with the ability and the skill to be able to defend their strong, good arguments against the duplicitous characters who were out for their own end. Mm-hmm. And I see it as exactly the same with politics. If you don't know the game, you're going to get taken advantage of. If you can't 
manage the game and handle the politics, you are going to lose out. Doesn't matter how good you are at your job, eventually one of these characters will come along who has a weaker argument, a worse business case, and they will steal your budget. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to wise up, I think, not fill it with your own personal agenda so that you're out for whatever you can get, uh, but to then inject your integrity into the moves that you make, the positioning that you do, so that you are not put at a, at a disadvantage and you can do better for the organization that we hope you love. Yes. So if I'm a, a new entrant into a highly political environment, again, most people understand what we're talking about when we talk about office politics or, you know, kind of organizational politics, not the, not the other kind of politics. But um, so if I kind of come into this environment, I'm new and I look around and I see that there's a lot of maneuvering going on. Again, kind of what are the first steps that I should take to begin to position myself to play the game effectively? I think number one is adopt a positive, curious attitude that you really want to understand what is happening. I think it's really important that you don't, at an early stage, take sides or believe one person over another, that you, in a way, maintain some independence over your position vis-a-vis what is going on and the political gameplay that is happening. I think you need to then start to judiciously build very good relationships with some of the key powerful people within the organization. And power is a, is, it's a, it's a complex sort of phenomenon. It's not as straightforward as many people believe. Um, and maybe we can get to that later. But you've got to be able to work out who is influencing the decisions within the organization. Because fundamentally, politics is about the art of decision making. And, I, and the practice of decision-making. And in any unit that you choose to analyse, it is how the decisions get made that dictate the way the game is being played, which therefore inform the moves that you may need to take in order to influence the decision. Hmm. Well, tell me more about power. What is kind of What are your thoughts around power? Is that a positive or negative aspect of leadership? Well, I think it's neutral. It depends what it's used for. Oh, you won't let me put you in a corner or box you in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but very seriously, I was at a dinner dinner party once in uh, Sydney, um, and the the person next to me asked, as she tend to do, well, what do you do? Tell me about your work. And I said, about power. Oh, I hate power. Why do you do that? <laughs> Whoa, that was a bit of a strong reaction. But... Many people do have this strong reaction. And at the end of the day, if we neutralize it, we remove some of the emotion from it, then we can start to work with it far more effectively than if we allow our emotions to ascribe one way or the other on any particular um, notion or concept. And so for me, the definition of power is the capacity to influence. As simple as that. And the that power, that capacity can be built from all manner of things, but generally what will work is the, the way a particular group who is affected or material to the decision values different things. So in some organizations I work with, it is extremely powerful, as in you can have the capacity of influence if you have a PhD 
or two. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got a PhD or two or, or, or more, you're nobody and nobody will listen to you. Okay, so if you've got relevant PhD, everybody will listen to you. Everybody will take what you're saying as, oh, okay, yeah, Colin's saying this, right, we, we must pay, pay heed to that. That's an important point. Mm, yeah, okay. So you are able to sway people because you have those PhDs. In other organizations that I work with, if you have a degree, you are derided. Really? And it has no power whatsoever. And in fact, people who go in with their masters or their doctors they tend to trade on the fact that they've got a doctorate and actually it's counterproductive for them because they're isolating themselves and therefore they are not as powerful as they think they are but in those sort of organizations it's your experience you're on the ground on the shop floor bitter experience of trading or manufacturing or whatever it is that that particular company is doing and the one that i'm thinking of is retail so if you haven't been out there selling stuff and have a good track record and be well known as a good trader nobody listens to you Mm-hmm. And so you've got to, if you want to be powerful, you have got to first work out where you want to be powerful and in what, or what group you want to be powerful with. And then what do they see as being powerful or credible? Let's look at it another way. What is credible? What do they listen to? Who do they listen to? And then you've got to assess where you are versus where you need to be. So what power have you got? What do you need in order to be influential and have the capacity to influence in the environment where you wish to succeed? Well, it's so, uh, you know, as you're talking a lot of your work and how your bios and things uh, describe you as someone who teaches practical steps to power and influence. And and I'm listening to you and I'm like, these are so practical, what you're saying. Just understand the landscape and then decide where you are and where you need to go. And and too many people, you I'm sure come across those people as well. And and I see too many people that just say, well, it's unfair. You know, oh, yeah, 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 they yeah. have this, I have that, it's unfair. Yeah, um, or, or I'm not sure I want to do this. I don't like this. What they really mean is they don't know how to do it or they don't know how to do it well uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to try. Yeah. We all have the human right to settle for wherever we are. Let's not, right. let's not be critical of anybody. But, but the interesting thing is I was talking to a former client of mine um, and, and good friend now earlier in the week. And, um, and I think this is what people have really got to get their heads around because most people don't invest enough time in learning what is going on. And the guy that I was talking to, obviously for privacy reasons, I won't tell you who he was, but he is familiar and used to working at global board level and negotiating and managing contracts in excess of 300 million. So some pretty big ticket stuff in a very, very large organization. And he said, I asked him what the challenges are at the moment of influence. And he said, really, it's it's understanding everybody's agenda because this organization is so big. There are so many different agendas going on, so many different strategies and plans and problems and solutions that could be uh, competing for for, for the airtime. He said, you've really got to work hard to understand where everybody's coming from. Um, And I said, so how do you respond to that? What is the key thing? He said, I help people. I get to know people. I go out of my way with certain people, with as many people as possible, to, to work out what they're after, what they're interested in, and I try to do something to help. He's building political goodwill. And I said to him, okay, well, 
how much time do you invest in doing that? And he said, what? Loads. <laughs> Probably half of my time. I'm out there networking. I'm getting to other meetings that aren't directly relevant to the work that I'm doing. And I'm getting to know people. And this, this is, you know, he's a very, he's a heavyweight, you know, doing some really big work. And he's investing an inordinate amount of time or what you would think is an inordinate amount of time and most other people who are not really um thriving um are spending 80 90 95 percent of their time doing their job that's a great takeaway there for anybody listening to this podcast and i don't know if it's as big of a uh, topic of discussion globally as it is today in the united states but there's a lot of um talk around the idea of privilege uh, you know, whether it's a racial kind of context of white privilege or uh, in the Me Too movement kind of being male privilege. Is that something that you've kind of studied or thought about in, in the aspect of influence, the people who maybe came into this world or came, came into things that uh, are part of who they are that maybe position them better for success than other people? I don't, I, think, I don't even know how to describe uh, privilege. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's 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 a fascinating topic, and um, I think it was about five years ago. A very good friend of mine challenged me to do something to help women, um, because she was a very senior um, health service executive, and she said women get such a hard time in the health service. And I know your work, Colin, could help enormously so I set about a research project to look at the differences between men and women in the workplace when it comes to influence particularly those in male dominated environments and I'm not going to go into the detail of what that research came through with but you can find it on the website if, if you wish later but one of the things that occurred to me apart from it being a very scary thing to do for a bloke to do, um, was that, and I, I came through unscathed, I hasten to add, was that it is not so much about a difference of gender as being in a minority position okay. in a group. And so men in a female-dominated environment struggle for influence. Blacks in a white-dominated environment Muslims in a Christian dominated environment. However, you split it up, if you are in a minority position, you can struggle for influence, for impact, for um, acceptance, even. And so, what I try to do, and, and what it, it helped me to do as a as a person, as much as anything else, was to, I suppose, recognise that this is really a matter of group dynamics and the way groups come together and form and pull apart and conflict with each other, but also internally as well. And I think what it said to me was that there is a very big call to action for people to understand how social groupings, and which is any, any group of human beings, actually operate. Mm -hmm. And if you can work out how they operate in without the emotional... Um, overtone or undertone whichever way you like to look at it but without that being hindered by that emotional baggage you can start to work out okay so here's where I am here's where they are what am I going to do to become more influential what can I do what levers can I pull and one woman in my research said, said the problem blokes have in a male dominated environment is it's very hard for them to stand out 
I'm the only woman there, I automatically stand out. And so what I work to do is to leverage that opportunity so that I can make a bigger impact. Well, that's some classic positive reframe. What a reframe. What yeah. a reframe. You know, and, you know, and, and another one said, um, and I know we're talking about the gender, but I think it's applicable to any, um, as you, to use the word you said, privilege versus non-privilege sort of dynamic, is that she said, Colin, the, the, the thing that I have thought about, or, or the, the way I always react to these things, is I don't pay any heed to it being, me being a woman. I just get on with the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, so many people go off on maternity leave and then they come back almost as apologetic as, as if they've done something wrong. And so quite often what she was saying, it's not me saying it, it's her saying it. And she's, people set themselves up for a problem because they box themselves into a minority position. True. Yes. And a lot of what is, it's a lot of what's going on in our own mind that sets us apart and I think everything you're saying makes absolute sense. Uh, and certainly you're, you know, much of what you're sharing is coming from the perspective of people who are in those positions, but there are also real issues to being a person in the minority in a situation. Um, what responsibility do people that are in the majority have to help people who maybe aren't as privileged or don't have as much influence because they are in that case a, a woman in a male dominated environment or a Muslim in a Christian environment, those types of situations. What responsibilities do we have or how should we approach that? Are they left to fend for themselves or do or do we have uh, some well, responsibility? This is, I think this is probably this is probably uh, stretching beyond my remit here and uh, I'm gonna sidestep this <laughs> well because I think that's more moral moral ethical um issue for people but it does remind me of one um startling uh, and i think this is an important issue for people to get their heads around a, a startling um problem we've got with say integrity um the problem with integrity is that the more integrity you believe you've got the more right you feel you are Ooh. All right you feel you are, the more easy it is to notice how wrong others are. And I think that is a major problem because who are you to say that your version of integrity is the global gold standard? Yes. I'm just going to, I'm going to let that sit there. That's, <laughs> I'm thinking about what you just said. <laughs> And, and so what I believe we need as a human race to be doing more of is, and it's, a, it's a, 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 an idealistic sort of thing to say, of course, but is to hold dear to our version of integrity, but tolerate others. How do we do that? How do we become more tolerable? Because it's a kind of a human nature yeah. aspect to think that i'm right and everyone else is wrong to some extent I think, so yeah, it, is, it is i think it's education i think it's reflection it's meditation but it's also personal strength and i think as we become stronger as individuals we have less to be concerned about less to worry about we feel less threatened and i think most of the intolerance comes from people who feel threatened so I think it's almost like a Buddhist thing is it just sort of work on yourself and build yourself before trying to put the world to rights. Interesting. Well, 
I think you have a lot to say on this topic. You should share. Well, that, you know, and looking at the the books that you've written, I had had made a kind of note here. You you did write a book on positive influence for women, which mm-hmm. I assume came out of the research that that you were charged with doing. Do you have some kind of takeaways from that book beyond what you've already shared for women to develop positive influence or or is it substantially different from how men develop positive influence? I think it's all the same, really. But I think it's about recognizing um, the strengths that you have. Um, one thing I did notice in a lot of the research was that quite often there are a number of things that I I observed and my research sort of indicated are not uncommon traits within our female friends um, and a lot of traits that are not uncommon amongst men. And I think what is important is to celebrate that uniqueness and that strength whilst also starting to recognize that at times other traits are useful to do the job in hand. I mean, I got interviewed a little while ago about this particular subject in, in an executive setting. And I said that some tasks that an executive has got to do require the sorts of behaviors, traits, styles that might be more recognizable in a woman and other times more recognizable in a man and I think the more we can all become uh, able to reach those behaviors those empathies those connections with our fellow human beings the more versatile we can become the more effective we can become because that ego maniac chest pumping sort of macho type style yeah that works in certain situations of course it does but so too in different situations will that very empathetic that very listening that very caring sort of interested approach that is more 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 expected i think of uh women and Mm -hmm. i think so that's probably a long way of not answering the the specific question i love it I i think it's about we've got to open ourselves up. It's not a us and them. It's not a men versus women. It's a, we're all in this together, guys. Come on. Now, what do we need to do to get the job done? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one of the things that I know you're kind of fascinated with now, and I, I'm fascinated to hear what you have to say about it, of what is it actually going to take to be an exceptional performer or leader in organizations tomorrow and we started out saying we don't need to talk about the future but if i were to, to to say okay in my toolkit as being an exceptional leader i need to you know have all of these things what are some of those key traits either maybe that you've already mentioned or or that we haven't yeah i mean I, can, I can't reveal all i can't reveal all at this moment in time but some of the interesting things to come out of that part of my research were and um, this is particularly relevant to large organizations um, risk taking. Those that are the most exceptional performers appear to be those that have an uncanny ability to take the risks that are right to take in a way that is later judged to have been correct. <laughs> well, that sounds like a little bit of that is left to chance. <laughs> the actions that are right to take that are later judged to be correct, how does one know? Uh, but that's where the ability comes in and the toolkit comes in to be able to develop that ability to analyze and assess the risks that are in front of you, where things are likely to go, and then to be able to judge what to do for the best. 
we're not talking about being foolhardy and jumping in where angels fear to tread or anything like that. We're talking about people who have the ability to analyze uh, the situations, analyze the environment, understand what the trends are, and then place their bets mm-hmm. and get and they are moving against the tide. They are doing things. They are innovators. They are slightly maverick. But when they combine that with their extensive um, high trust network of support and sponsors, so it's not just they're out on their own having a go. They've got a lot of people around them and behind them for the support. They're the ones that will be changing the industries that are at the moment being stifled by regulation. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them who have, for their own, you know, a lot of mistakes have been made, and there's, the regulation is very much needed. But what, as one banker said to me, you know, all the really creative bankers have gone to private equity now. Oh, well, that means there's opportunity for some creative bankers in, in industry, correct? <laughs> Indeed, and I think that is a is a really interesting signal because that's where this aspect comes into its own because there is a need continually in every industry to take risks, and at the moment in certain industries, not enough risks are being taken because people are too scared, people are too worried, people haven't got a handle on where the future is going, and those that can, those are the ones that are going to be able to stand out. But they get it wrong, and they're out. Right true are there are there things I, you know i hear from people i'm sure you do as well who they say they want to take risk or they have ideas but that their environment is either risk averse or the leadership does not support that is is that a situation where maybe they should look to go somewhere else or how do they kind of um maybe help others in the organization to see that the risks need to be taken and that uh, they should give them a shot I think it's a judgment call on whether they um, have the political goodwill, the political network or capital, as we often call it, to be able to um, unfreeze some of these organisations that haven't changed in 100 years or more. And there are a lot of them out there. Those are the dinosaurs that are dying as people like Uber, Airbnb and all of these other new startup companies suddenly emerge as big players within some fairly um, big stable industries and I wrote a little while ago about how you know a lot of these hitherto unassailable behemoths of industrial um, the the industrial world are suddenly starting to wake up and realize oh oh my god we're about to be uh, undercut we're about to be taken out we're about to be pulled apart oh now what do we do and they haven't got the skill set within their senior team to be able to change. Mm-hmm. Look, but for people, I think each person is going to make up their own decision about what environment they are best suited to. Me, I come. From, I, I love. I love messy companies. I, I mean, in my corporate career, the bigger the problem. The bigger the mess the company was in, the more I loved it because I love getting in there and rolling my sleeves up and making things happen. Um, And so I didn't want to go to a company that was good. I wanted to go to a company that had major, major problems, Um, which is maybe where I started to learn how to do all the politics and things like that. But, um, But I think the point is we've each got our own, we've got to understand ourselves well enough to know where we'll perform best. 
What, what is your advice? Let's say you're coaching a leader and you maybe have who has been brought in to turn around or make more relevant an organization that has traditionally been risk averse. So, you know, this is not a situation where they're kind of needing to look around and seeing, can I influence people? That's what they've been hired to do. So I've got to come in. I've got to make a whole team of leaders and managers. Um, accept risk and take opportunities when that's not been the way that they have traditionally been led or are wired in the past. So kind of that top-down version of a risk-averse organization, but yet we need to innovate or we're going to die. How would, how would you coach them to go about that? I think it's all about the particular situation, but point number one I would make to an individual in that position is have a plan B <laughs> at a personal level because you may have been hired in, but you may be hired out very, very quickly as well. Um, so I think you've always got, if you're going into a high-risk situation like that, I think you've got to be fairly secure that if it, if it doesn't go the way you expect and hope it will, then you've got an exit, exit plan. So I think point number one. Point number two is to be very realistic about what you've really been hired for. In my second book, Political Dilemmas at Work, which I wrote with uh, Dr. Gary Ranker out of New York, one of the political dilemmas we identified that people face or could face in a big organization is the fire starter. The fire starter is somebody who's been hired in, usually by the chief executive, to come and disturb the whole organization, to make it change, to bring it up to date, and to et cetera, et cetera. So sizable change. The fire starter, the person who's gone in is really pleased, they're really pumped, they've been given such a big task to go and do and they're really excited and they get going, they start ruffling the feathers and the support starts to eke away. It's a political dilemma potentially because the chief exec might be using that as a, what we would call over here an Aunt Sally, somebody who is there, a stalking horse, to go and ruffle and disturb everybody to a massive extent, and then they exit them and get a lesser change. It's a bit like, I want to go skydiving. No, I, you know, I want to go and do something really dangerous, dear. Can I, can I go and do it? Mm -hmm. um, no, 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 no. Well, well, how about if I get a motorbike instead? Oh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and, and it's almost like the, the lesser of two evils. So you disturb it to an organization to a massive extent. Thank you very much, sir. And now what we will do is this. And mm -hmm. so they get the change that they want. It's a bit like, a, I mean, another, another example, probably a better and more relevant one is I learned from an ex-McKinsey's guy when I was in business working that you don't go in looking for a 10% cost saving. You go in looking for a 30% cost saving. Mm -hmm. in a project because then you're more likely to get 15 percent if you go in looking for 10 you might get two or three so we've just so we bowled down the mckinsey model right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but but it's sort of i i think you you've got to, you, you know you, you shoot for the stars and you get to the moon except all of those sort of cute analogies are true but when you are hired in to make a substantial change to an organization Go in with your eyes open mm -hmm. and make sure that it's right and that you've got the support and that you maintain the support. So really do make sure you keep your sponsors close to everything that you're doing because you are going to go upsetting people. That is your job. That is your job. And some people are very good at that. And 
and maintain a whole career of plan B's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, so, and sometimes people are, I mean, it was, I saw one, it's happened in one company where um, a, a maverick was hired in to completely disrupt a broken organization and it needed it. And he was hired in for his skills of transforming. He was not hired in for steady state. Mm-hmm. And so when the steady, when he managed to steady the ship and get everything fixed, he was then no longer suitable. Right. Not a maintainer of, of not, a, not a maintainer. And I think you've got to understand a, who you're hiring into those sort of jobs and what the longevity and the long term is. But also I think as an individual, no, I'm a, I'm a troubleshooter. I'm somebody who likes the crisis. I just want to get in and have some fun. I'm in on it and know the point at which you need to get out because you'll get bored. Yes. It won't f- suit you and you need to move on to the next challenge again. Another reason to have a plan B. Mm-hmm. Well, you have written six books so far, correct? Uh, there or thereabouts, yeah. There, I love it. I, an author who has written six or more books, <laughs> and you're in the process of writing, I believe, in your next book. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. starts. Well, I will look forward to that. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to try. I haven't been able to get you boxed in yet. So I'm going to try here with a question <laughs> of your six books, and I'll link to all of them in the show notes. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to get all of them, you know, things about dirty tricks, political dilemmas, advocates and enemies, positive influence, building reputations in tough organizations and influential leadership. Those are topics that all fascinate me. If you were one person, if a person came to you and said, okay, you have these books, what's the first one that I should buy? What what would you recommend? Who that is. You won't let. It depends on who they are. You are let me give you an example. Let me give, let, <laughs> let, me, let me let me give you some and your listeners some positive help. Then, if you are troubled by the office politics and the games that people play around you, and it's frustrating, and you're pulling your hair out at what other people are up to and what they're trying to do, go and buy Twenty One Dirty Tricks at work. Mm-hmm. Because that is a playbook of the shenanigans that are going on at a tactical level in organizations. Mm-hmm. Influential leadership is a book uh, uh, pitched at a more senior level about actually how to lead in a big way. And some of my clients have used it as the basis on which they have thought through the strategy for the new job of CEO. When they've stepped into CEO position, they've thought, what do I need to do here? What's my vision? What's happening in the market space? So that's a really, but it's all, but influential leadership is also probably the most complete um, treatment of all of the work that I've done over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. quite, it's quite, it's, it's very condensed. It's very bang, 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 bang. But from power, the politics, behaviors on influence is all in there is absolutely Mm jam-packed so what is next for you what is next for me do you know what jennifer to be honest i'm having such a whale of a time working with individuals uh doing workshops i'm more of the same really um you know it is such a delight to be able to see people coming through dilemmas and problems and getting into new positions and starting to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. starting to feel confident that they're being able to do within the parameters and the limitations that we all have to operate and actually being happy and succeeding. So I'm absolutely loving doing that. I love continuing to talk to people and learn more about what's going on in the current current world. Um, and I think it's just more of the same. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing and look forward to more of more of the same and, and continuing to learn from you in the future. Where can our listeners connect with you or find out more about your work? I think probably the easiest place to go to is learntoinfluence.com uh, because that's the, if you like, that's the home for most of my output. Uh, apart from the book so you can go and subscribe to the blog or you can there's free downloads on stakeholder mapping or gravitas which is a really important topic for people to get their heads around so there's lots and lots of free stuff but if you subscribe you know you'll get um, something in the inbox every every couple of weeks or so that will that will stimulate your thinking because at the moment people are so busy they've got to have that stop hang on here's an idea hmm okay now get on, get back to it and so to get through that that's that that's a, that's really where i put most of my most of my new work goes out goes out through that learn to influence.com but also i'm on linkedin quite a lot so if you want to come and find me on linkedin and refer to this podcast anybody out there you know if you work particularly if you're working in a big organization or working with big organizations i'd love to i'd love to connect with you well, I appreciate you uh, sharing those resources, and we'll definitely link to those along with your books in the show notes. And it has been an honor and pleasure to talk with you today. I've learned so much just in our short conversation, not only about the topics of power and influence, but also how to be a person who answers questions very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a delight, but I think if if I may, just one sort of just summary or I suppose request of the listeners is that I think when it comes to influence and being more successful, probably the most important thing you can do is to take small decisions quickly and often and get to action. That is a fantastic takeaway. Thanks for summing everything up and sharing that. Because tweet yeah, that. People, get, people get, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Oh, and they get really, really hung up on these decisions. Just get on with it. And then see where you get to and keep it under review. And I think, you know, most people don't influence half as well as they could do because they just don't try. I love it. Just get on with it. We should adopt that strategy. So thank you so much for sharing your information. I appreciate your time today and you have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to the work you continue to do in the future. Thank you very much. And look forward to hearing the other podcasts coming through as well. Well done. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.